fuck you. That's my name. <laughs> Hey, this is Sharks Across Hollywood, and this week, The Rev made me watch a movie that I've never seen before, but I've heard over and over again for years and years that I either should watch it or shouldn't watch it, so we watched it. We're going to talk about Dune, and it's almost timely because the remake is coming out soon. Eventually. Eventually. I say soon, but I don't know. I think it got pushed. I think it actually got pushed. Did it get pushed to next year? I have no fucking idea, man. I I can't keep track of this shit. I I rely on my daughter for this because it stars Timothy Shaw. Okay, she's fucking I was, in love with him. I was gonna bring that up. Yeah, I watched the trailer once, but I don't remember it, so I'm gonna have to check it out again. I wanted to watch it before this, but I fucking forgot. So I don't want to watch the trailer. I already know I want to see it. I love the director. Timothy Chalamet is a hell of a good young actor. You know, I'm already. I already know I'm there. Plus, you know, just it's Dune, so of course I'm gonna give it a chance. It's fucking it's Dune, one of my, you nerd. I've spoken before on the show about how <laughs> Dune is my first cinematic memory, so you know, it, it it's always going to hold a. a, a warm place in my heart so of course i'm going to give it a chance when it comes out okay well let's actually let, let's let's jump into that i think this this episode might flow a little differently because there's this movie was just fucking jam-packed with words and names and shit and i couldn't keep track i i, I know the plot basically but i you know usually i scene to scene break it down in my notes but fuck i was gonna say this might actually be one where we just kind of want to give a quick synopsis right at the beginning and then just go from there because <laughs> there is no fucking way even I, who have seen this movie dozens of times, am going to be able to track scene to scene what goes on because there's fucking so much happening. We're just going to kind of have to hit the highlights. So much yet so little. That That is a funny thought that I had watching it this time. I was sitting there and I realized that I don't actually consider the movie to have started properly until after the Harkonnens return and kill all of the Atreides. And that's an hour into the movie or an hour 20 into the movie something like that like that's almost a feature length movie into the movie okay i had and that thought <laughs> yes um do you know how they broke lord of the ring or the hobbit into three different movies yeah they could have actually done that with this yeah they could have. <laughs> it would have made sense at least two movies i was yeah. actually wondering if they're not going to do that with the new one they are i heard they are they're going to split it up into two which usually i'm like fuck that then after watching this i'm like no no that's that's a great fucking idea and the book is yeah. also 400 pages not 200 and some like the hobbit was there's a lot of story here before we started you mentioned your first well i guess you kind of mentioned it here your first cinematic memory what was your i'll tell you my experience because i my first experience was watching it for the first time like three days ago no shit (laughs) Yeah. You'd never seen it before. No, never. Oh, I guess I didn't realize that. And now that I think about it, you said that at the top of the show and it, it just didn't click in my head. Never fucking watch it. I don't like I'm not a sci-fi guy. So I'm gonna say something about this fucking movie before we get going. So this is Okay. So the thing about this movie for me is that I liked it and that confuses me. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I am shocked. (laughs) I was certain from the texts you were sending me while you were watching it that this was going to be, nope, you're wrong, dude. I'm sorry. This movie fucking sucks. (laughs) I was sure that was going to be your takeaway. Okay, well, fuck it. I'll tell my first. My first thought, <laughs> I'll let you carry it away with the with the dreamlike quality you had watching this as a child. You you said Dune. I'm like, 
fuck. Okay, I you know we've done movies on here that I didn't like before, and it's okay because I I like the experience. I appreciate it. And I'm like just I don't like sci-fi. I don't like the high concept sci-fi. Uh-huh. Right? I like uh-huh. Looper. Star Wars is obviously a thing. Fucking Star whoa, whoa, whoa. Wars. Everybody, you're, you're gonna try and tell me Looper isn't high concept sci-fi. Well, it is, but it's also it's also kind of grounded in a realistic world. It's on Earth, and it's you know whatever. Oh, oh, okay. That kind of. So all right. Okay. I I get what you're saying now. All right. They're not making that up a bunch sense. of words, and it's not on like twelve different planets and shit. Interesting fact. Did you know that uh, in its original theatrical release, I only found this out today. In its original theatrical release, if you saw it at certain theaters, they would give you a like a a, a flyer with a glossary of terms on it. <laughs> you almost need it. I actually didn't have that hard of a time following what was going on and all the words and stuff, which surprises the shit out of me. But like I said, you said Dune. I'm like fuck. I don't want to. But we've done not movies that I just didn't love and the sci-fi thing. I'm like, oh god, I've heard about this movie so much and just the people the people that liked this movie in high school were the ones that I never wanted to hang out with. <laughs> because I don't care if you're a nerd, but if you're a fucking weirdo, then that's that's different. I'm a fucking nerd, I don't care, but and ooh. I'm a fucking weirdo. Oh god. <laughs> Um, but I'm watching this movie and I'm, I do, I did the thing where I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch it. No notes, no nothing. I'm just going to kind of hang out. I'll have my phone out. I'll fucking space off and I'm watching it and I'm like, huh, this is really dumb, but I kind of like it. I'm, I'm, I'm liking it. Like I was confused. I'm like, do I like this? I'm like, okay, whatever. The, the movie's over. Holy shit. That was, that didn't really feel that long, which is the mark of a decent movie or at least you enjoying your experience, right? It's like watching Endgame. I liked that movie a lot the first time I watched it. So that three hours kind of flew by for me, but then. And I, yesterday, I had the girls and Rachel sitting there with me watching it. The girls didn't give a shit. Rachel. Not a surprise. (laughs) The first thing that Rachel says is like, hey, it's that guy from all those, uh, those David Lynch movies. Yes, it is. (laughs) And I'm like. Kyle MacLachlan. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is a David Lynch movie, sort of. Like, it's a David Lynch (laughs) movie in the sense that he directed it. Then we made it through it a second time. And I'm like, fuck, I think I actually like it. Yeah, there, there's my experience. I actually, I didn't hate it. It's less annoying and intrusive than Star Wars because there's only one movie and nobody's bugging me to watch the miniseries or anything. That's true. And also... I mean, if you want to get into the world of the books, of oh, course, fuck. there's like... 40 books well only six count to me because he's frank herbert only wrote the six of them whatever his son did eh, fuck off that that's extended universe i gotta say i don't give shit one about the books either like i know a lot of people love dune there's you know there's that that popular thing about how all guys love dune and uh i've read dune i thought it was fine but it it wasn't magical like this movie is for me all right this movie for me break into that magic tell me tell me what it was like sitting in the theater when you were 85 uh four five years old i was five years old in 84 which is the best year for movies is that when this came out yes 1984 i was close (laughs) a lot of my favorite movies came out in 1984 oh yeah we talk about that all the fucking time i know (laughs) yes we have anyway so first off didn't see it in the theater i saw it at the drive-in Ooh, well oh that's okay that's one good positive right there my friend who lived across the street from me his parents took me him and his sister to the drive-in one weekend i have to imagine my mom was you know like my mom was a woman in her her late 20s or something and she probably had shit going on you know you know so i I ended up spending a lot of weekends with friends and relatives and stuff so they 
they took us all to the drive-in and it was a double feature of dune and the warrior and the sorceress which i've told you we have to do this year like like i want to do dune and i want to do the warrior and the sorceress this year because they are both they're such a yin and yang of quality <laughs> like dune is is in a lot of ways like an art piece as well as like sort of you know like a popular sci-fi story and the warrior and the sorceress is like pure roger corman sword and sorcery trash like it is one of the trashiest <laughs> movies you'll ever seen so it's a very yin yang thing that was going on with these two movies do you remember which movie played first dune oh fucking seriously <laughs> yes i remember that because i was i was wide awake for dune all the stuff like like really blew me away and impressed me and then the warrior and the sorceress i was fading in and out <laughs> and i think that's the only too. reason my friend's parents stuck around because the warrior and the sorceress like i said very trashy so i think the only reason they stuck around for the double feature was because everybody all of three of us were falling asleep but i was awake for dune and i don't remember everything but what i do remember is i remember we were in there uh it was i believe it was something equivalent to like a chevy suburban or something like that it was a it was an early suv before they were called suvs and uh, and it was really big and it had like the wide bench back seat and we were sitting in the back seat and it was in the drive-in days when you didn't tune your radio into the drive-in sound you actually had to get the speaker off of a pole that you parked next to and put it in your window and everybody had to listen through this one shitty little speaker <laughs> and and so that was how we listened to the warrior or excuse me dune and the warrior and the sorcerers it's funny because even that being the case you know like because sound is such a big part of this movie the sound is really cool and it's got that soundtrack by toto and brian eno which is such <laughs> yes. a strange choice um but i love it i don't think brian eno is such a strange choice but toto is a very strange choice i thought a lot of the music was pretty cool actually <laughs> no that's just it I, I it like is it. it's it, it's really cool the soundtrack is just great it's epic it like it, it it gives me chills when I listen to it. And even with all the sound coming through that one shitty little speaker, it still instilled in me the wonder of the spectacle I was seeing because the costumes and the set pieces, everything is so lavish and and almost gaudy in how intricate it is. Oh, it's gaudy. That is that is what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and and i love it like like there's all this intricate woodwork and the the gold filigree and when they when all the ships are flying into that spaceship there's that door and the door has all this intricate inlay around the frame like it's from the 17th century or something like that it's just beautiful and magical and i love it and then of course there's the worms and the worms are what really blew my mind when i saw this movie because they're so huge and they give you that sense of spectacle and, and just majesty and like you're looking at a god you know i mean and, technically you are aren't they kind of yeah i mean yeah. technically you sort of are like they're sort of the gods of dune and uh or the gods of arrakis if you will but uh yeah in that scene when he takes the water of life and then the the worms are all there sort of surrounding him like the three wise men in a you know in a, a nativity scene it, yeah it was just fucking magical the, the very first 
first time that worm appears from underneath the uh, underneath the spice harvester, and it just comes up, and you expect something big, but man, like it it just lifts up, and it's just it's so big that the spice harvester is just in its mouth, and then it just crunches down, and Jesus, it was so fucking big, like I'd never seen anything like that before, and it wasn't the first movie I'd seen or anything. I'd seen a lot of movies up to that point. I know I'd seen E.T. and I'd seen The Empire Strikes Back and I'd seen uh, Star Trek The Search for Spock or maybe Wrath of Khan was what had come out before it and then Search for Spock came out later that in I think Search for Spock came out in 84 but like I'd seen a lot of movies so it wasn't my first rodeo but that was the first time it really struck me you know like I remember being just in awe of what I was seeing like I was seeing something incredible and that's my Dune story that is magical <laughs> so now I love to I, I still love to watch it it still gives me that sense of wonder every time I watch it I, I owned it on VHS I owned it on DVD uh, it was the very first HD DVD I bought was Dune <laughs> yeah that tracks also and if they ever release a good edition on Blu-ray I will buy it but at present the Blu-ray edition is just a straight rip of the HD DVD edition so I don't need it that's the one that I got I bought it that's how, that's how committed I am to this shit I bought this I can't believe you know like with the dune remake like it theoretically it should have already been out by now according to you know all the announcements and shit why isn't there a good edition of the movie uh, uh, of the 84 movie out like you know people want to see it because it costs money and they don't know if the movies actually get a hit yet because they're yeah, yeah i guess that's true i don't know i don't know what they're thinking all right i just kind of i'll tell you what the fucking bookstores are pumping it if you go into the bookstore they got a whole dune section now Oh, that's nice. They got <laughs> nice editions, you know, nice special high-priced editions that they're selling. Well, I found the full audiobook on YouTube, so maybe I'll check that out. I'm not saying it's not a good book. Because <laughs> I'm it's curious. Just, it is good. It's a good book, but it just didn't wow me like it has some people. You know, some people are just like, you have no idea if you've just watched the movie. This this book is so deep. There's so much going on. And when I listened to it, and I listened to it on audiobook, when I listened to it, I was like, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all that shit was covered in the movie except i don't get Give that take. awesome score and i don't get the incredible costume and set design and you know like <laughs> like i don't have a problem with the book it's just it wasn't magical for me the movie was so i heard that dune was a gay parable uh, maybe yeah <laughs> could be so, so uh several people especially especially trans people are like fuck f- drop harry potter go read dune instead well yeah yeah i mean i could see that i could see that but i, I don't, don't know. know i don't know what frank herbert's position on that was maybe uh she Shall we break into the movie a little bit and see see what happens? Like I said, maybe give them a synopsis. You know, oh, yeah. like like Do, like a one two three. There is an exposition dump right at the beginning of the movie that tells you pretty much exactly what's going on. It's Virginia Madsen who looks fucking gorgeous in that fucking makeup, by the way. Like, Pre Candyman. Really, yeah, and she's. I was gonna say she's the star of two future episodes that we're going to do for sure. Oh, what's the other one? Candyman and Highlander Two. She was in Highlander Two. I completely forgot about that. Highlander I, Two is a terrible fucking movie, but. Fuck yes. I had no idea she was in that. <laughs> oh yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna be all over that one. That's a topic for another day because that's that's a lot. But yeah, exposition dump right at the top of the movie. The year is ten thousand one hundred ninety one. Arrakis is where all this stuff is being harvested. Arrakis is also 
also Dune, by the way, because it's all sandy and stuff. Sand, it gets everywhere. And what they're harvesting is a spice called melange. And it's where the Fremen live, and you'll meet them later, and they have a prophecy, because it's a, you can't have a fucking fantasy movie without a fucking prophecy, can you? No, you cannot. Base, that That's the basic setup. Don't miss out on the rivalry between mm. Duke Leto Atreides and House Harkonnen, run by the Baron Harkonnen. But I was, I did notice that the whole thing is essentially almost kind of like a pawn game because this emperor who is the emperor of all four of these planets, I think. He's the emperor of the known universe. Of the known universe, right. And he's just like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play these two against each other because I... Well, I think it's because he believes that the Atreides will attempt to overthrow him. Oh, that's right. That is right. I Just as you started to say it, I'm like, yep, oh, I got it. But really, he's while he is technically the emperor of the known universe, he's not really in control because he's basically the bitch of an organization of spice addict psychics known as the Spacing Guild. Yeah, from planet X? I don't know what planet they're from. It's those brain guys, right? Okay, so I lo- I the second I saw that thing, I'm like, it looks like Mother Metroid from Captain <laughs> N. <laughs> And obviously the Metroid games, but mostly from Captain N. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit, I guess. I love that initial reveal of the Spacing Guild Master. Like, they wheel in that huge chamber, and it's got all that paneling around it to sort of cover up what's inside. And then the, the panels slide back, and then through this smoke comes this giant fucking brain thing with what looks like a cancerous vagina for a mouth and two <laughs> little arms sticking out the sides of it. It really like, does. It's so creepy looking. Because they've mutated, for the listener's sake, they've mutated after centuries of consuming the spice melange which extends life and what is it the how does how does it go the spice extends life the spice expands consciousness something like that there was a lot of that and there's a lot of internal monologues and people keep on whispering to you and it's a little creepy and annoying but it adds to that that special cheese factor that you kind of it's a enjoy. sort of dreamlike quality that the whole thing has and 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 that's the thing that I love about this movie is it creates this dream that sucks you in and I, I know you know some people aren't able to get past the the fact that it doesn't include their favorite bits from the book and stuff but I think if that doesn't bother you then it can really suck you in and and, and just absorb you entirely your absorb your attention so the brain guy or the fuck his name is also has a translator and his translator is really creepy his translator has a translator yeah and he's got this like weird tube going up his nose and it's all drippy and gross and it's coming out of his head or something it's so fucking weird that's the interesting thing about those spacing guild guys because from a conceptual standpoint the spice is mutating them but they're all sort of at different stages of mutation so like the guys who are walking around outside the chamber they're like the junior members of the spacing guild and then you have you know the spacing guild master in the chamber who has mutated into something that looks like a fucking space worm with a giant brain and there's a lot of strange detail in that scene like when the when the chamber closes up and rolls out as it rolls away there's all this liquid spilling out from underneath it and there are these guys around it like sucking the liquid up with these vacuum tubes and it's like that was a conscious artistic choice to do that on the part of of david lynch and the design team i wonder if that harkens back to the book or something because like it took effort and planning to make that happen they didn't have a magic chamber that was spilling juice 
all over the floor. You know, they had to they had to manufacture that. So like there's so clearly more going on in every scene than is just going on in every scene. Yep, this is one of those you're gonna have to watch a hundred times in order to catch everything. Yeah, there, there's won't. stuff to there's stuff to catch on rewatches. It's um yeah, it's it's sort of wonderful. And I'm sure that that is stuff that the hardcore book fans are like pissed off about because they got entire chapters in the book dedicated just to that. What that juice is, there's a whole chapter just about that. Having that mystery there doesn't take it away from it for me. It actually adds to it because I get to, you know, I get to think about that stuff myself. I don't have to rely on someone else telling me what that's about. I get to speculate on it and ponder about it. And I like that. As, as I said, we have, it It starts with this big information dump from Virginia Madsen, as you, as you said, and she introduces us to the four planets that are key to the story. You got Arrakis, aka Dune. You've got the planet that the Harkonnens are from, and you've got the planet that the Atreides are from, and you've got the planet where the Emperor of the Known Universe lives. I don't remember the names of those planets. I never have. Oh, no, you know what? I, I think re- I remember Prime Cl- is the name of the Harkonnen planet. Okay, I remember Caladan because I wrote that down. Is that the Emperor's or is that... That is where the Atreides, the Atreides live. That's where the Atreides live. Okay, so you've got these four planets and then basically we find out that the Emperor is conspiring with the Harkonnens to overthrow the Atreides. Here's how. By giving the Atreides control of Arrakis and the spice mining on Arrakis, which the Harkonnens had previously been in control of. What they plan to do is give the Atreides control of Arrakis, then have the Harkonnens swoop in with the Emperor's support and kill all of the Atreides because they have a betrayer in the Atreides house who will basically disable the shields at the right moment so that the Harkonnens can swoop in and kill everybody. That's the that's the quick and nasty version. The Spacing Guild <laughs> comes in. They tell now the Spacing Guild is all these psychics and telekinetic whatevers who use the power that the spice gives their minds to fold space and allow for space travel. Folding space is traveling without moving, which they illustrate beautifully in the film Event Horizon. Sam Neill illustrates it by taking a piece of paper, drawing two dots on either side of the paper, then folding the paper together so that the dots overlap and using a pencil as the spaceship and jamming it through the paper (laughs) to show that the spaceship is now in both places at once and then he unfolds the paper and now the spaceship is on the other side of the universe. So that's basically what the Spacing Guild does. They facilitate all this space travel and without them basically nobody can do jack shit so the Emperor is their little bitch because he's just got to do whatever they say and what they say to do is to make sure you kill Paul Atreides and the Emperor is like, Paul Atreides? Don't you mean his father the duke and the spacing guild is like motherfucker you heard what i said you kill paul atreides don't question me i was never here i did not say this and off we go we meet the atreides family and we travel with them as they travel to arrakis and they come from this beautiful uh sea world basically so it's sort of like the exact opposite of arrakis we're introduced to the family dynamics in which paul was never supposed to have been born because his mother was a Bene Gesserit sister, which is this sisterhood of basically witches who manipulate bloodlines by choosing 
what sort of a child to have and for whom. So basically, she, the woman that uh, who was the Duke's concubine, not his wife, that's an important distinction, but his concubine bore him a son because he wanted a son so badly, even though she was ordered to give him only daughters. And uh, we find out that the Reverend Mother, of uh, who's like the advisor to the Emperor, is super pissed about it because there's this legend of a Bene Gesserit giving birth to a man who will become the supreme being uh, and basically like like basically become a god in human form known as the Kwisatz Haderach. And basically she accuses her of trying to give birth to the Kwisatz Haderach despite what she'd been ordered to do by the sisterhood. So th- th- there's so much to unpack. <laughs> <laughs> there is. And, and my stuff is just like, hey, uh, Patrick Stewart and the guy who played Al from Quantum Leap show up. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> they do. As does uh the guy who plays the leader of the bad guys in Solar Babies. I can't remember what his name is, but he also he also played the um the bad guy in Logan's Run, the guy who hunts down Logan. Oh geez, I've never seen that. I've heard of it. I I know of it. Well, it's definitely not grounded sci-fi, um, at least not grounded in a world you're familiar with. So it may or may not be your thing. It's very campy though, so you might love it. Well, after this, who the fuck knows what I might like? <laughs> So we follow the Atreides do you, to Arrakis. Do you want to talk about, hang on, before we get to fucking Arrakis, do you want okay. to talk about the goddamn shield fight? Yes, the shield fight. That was one of my favorite things as a kid. I love that effect. It's such a good effect. They they hit these buttons on their belt and these shields come out that make them look like... Gobots? There were these things in, yeah, like Gobots <laughs> or there were these things in the early 2000s. They were like these little stackable guys and like they looked like rectangles because they had their hands held straight up in the air and snapped together and then their legs straight down but then you could like pop their legs out and their arms out and form them into all kinds of shapes and then hook them together and stack them on each other and it was it was a game i can't remember what they were called but suffice to say the shields come out and they're very blocky they form these big square and rectangular shields around the body and there's this gaggy underwater distorted image effect when you're looking at the person through the shield it's really cool i fucking love it and they are used a total of exactly twice in the entire movie that's true that is true i would like to have seen more from them but uh, i'm guessing it was an expensive effect yeah probably then he does he pulls a luke skywalker and they're like hey fight this robot thing yeah because they had to sort of introduce again there's so fucking much to unpack the weirding (laughs) module which i thought was kind of dumb apparently that's not in the book all the voice control and stuff does not exist in the book so david lynch did a lot of embellishing here yeah i i do think that that was um that was lynch's invention i remember looking for something i did i didn't remember what it was but now that you say the weirding module i'm like yeah that's probably what it was i remember looking for something specific in the book that it kept not delivering and i was (laughs) like huh that's weird because it's such a big deal in the movie so yeah it was probably the weirding modules apparently weirding is in there why the fuck did he call it that i don't know but it it is in there but it's more i think it's like a psychic thing that you can do but not not manipulating sound into blowing things up i think what he probably wanted to do is he wanted to present it in a cinematic way oh yeah yeah that i'm on his side here and i really like it the idea is that they have these things around their necks that capture the sound of their voice and translate it into basically a, a ammunition for a gun but it's not just any sound 
it has to be particular sounds and like the way these sounds have a force and that force can be channeled into power or something like that i'm probably butchering it horribly because it's been a few years since i last watched the movie and like i I was never a guy who had it memorized specifically because i love for it to always have that dreamy suck you in effect when i watch it i always space out my viewings by a couple of years you know i don't i don't just watch it back to back to back but yeah i i I love the i love the weirding modules i love and so he basically he has this fight with the weirding module which like i said voice capture that turns it into a shot that this gun fires out and this this machine drops down out of the ceiling that has a bunch of really nasty looking weapons on it that he has to and it follows him around this little enclosed circle and he has to shoot all of its various attack appendages before we before again before there's some weird shit before we get to arrakis i want to jump into so first of all like many ladies in the 80s i imagine paul is dreaming and sting pops up for like a second (laughs) yeah if you didn't see that one coming that might have been a shocker like what the (laughs) is that sting (laughs) well okay okay Uh, we'll we'll talk about that right now because eventually brad dorif pops up and i see him and i'm like oh that dude looks fucking familiar i'm like oh who is that chucky yeah well but i thought he was somebody completely different charles lee charles lee ray yes so i went into imdb and like fuck there's a lot of people in here i just want to check them out see who it is his name is piter did not look at the actor's name i fucking i'm like oh i see piter i'm like oh okay click on the picture i'm scrolling through i go down to the bottom and i'm like oh what was he in no he was in he was in this and this and this and wait he oh he was in child's play right on wait he was charles lee wait he's holy fuck it's brad dorif because he looks so young and so different covered in all that stuff even though he really does look different even though chucky comes out you know fucking four years after this really not that long he's completely different and the eyebrows and the the lip stains it was a very different look oh man yeah that that really weirded me out and then and i didn't really realize it was sting in that one flash you get of him right there and i'm like oh fuck oh fuck (laughs) (laughs) it just happened and then uh later on paul's fucking girlfriend i'm like she's kind of hot she looks familiar who was that oh it's the chick from fucking blade runner what the hell is going on i got one that might blow your mind oh god do you know who his little sister was no but she's hot now yes she is she was the star of urban legend oh my god i saw urban legend once yeah and she was also in (laughs) fuck it she was in the walking dead she had a nice little arc on the walking dead i think it was like season four or something like that she plays paula anyway i see it (laughs) yeah she grew up to be super hot yeah she she did all right little redhead i wonder if it's real either way she's super creepy in this fucking (laughs) movie movie yes she is she genuinely disturbed me when i was a kid she genuinely disturbs me now oh (laughs) wow will we will get to that though because that she's pretty fucking important she is she's a significant character this dream he just kind of he has a a bunch of flashes of stuff tell me about your home world we don't know what the fuck any of this is talking about it's all without context but he is very into himself he's like am i the one the whole fucking time the whole movie like jesus guy get over yourself <laughs> but he is so there's there's a voice that these what do you call them the benny jesuits the benny jesuits yes uh, the benny jesuit sisterhood has a voice that they use that commands whoever they're speaking to to do whatever they say whether they want to or not and she tries it on paul and he's like fuck off <laughs> 
<laughs> She's like, He's hardly so nonchalant about it, but but he resists. It should be emphasized. This is the Bene Gesserit mother, the uh, you know, like the the advisor to the to the emperor himself comes to check out Paul after she finds out that the Spacing Guild wants him dead. She wants right. to find out why the Spacing Guild wants him dead. As it turns out, he's a man, and that's bad. But he sticks his hand in a box, which men shouldn't do unless they're asked to. Which he is. I mean, technically, he's ordered to. <laughs> that that is true. That is true. Oh, she's taking control. I bet he likes that. He looks a little uh, bit, submissive. Yeah. <laughs> At the beginning of the movie, for sure. Yeah, he definitely goes on a hero's journey, doesn't he? Holy shit! You think by the end, he's like, he's like, I'm gonna go get that bitch if she wasn't dead. I guess. <laughs> I'm going to tell her what box I'm putting my hand in. Kinky. <laughs> also, she's they're really creepy looking because they're like bald, but not really. I don't know. And they look like pre-Cenobites. Sort of. Yeah, I could see that. Which kind of weirds me out a little bit. Which is kind of like hot in a, in a creepy, kinky sort of way. Yeah, well, they do have such sights to show you like their bald head and weird vaginas. <laughs> Think the carpet matches the drapes? It better. She got to give me something. Got. She got to give me something to make me happy. Looking <laughs> oh, like that. We're fucking um, <laughs> stupid, aren't we? Yes. All right. Let's move on to let. Let's talk about the Baron real quick because this was the first instance instance of something super fucking gross in this movie, and this movie gets icky. The good Baron Harkonnen is such a sweetheart. Well, I guess it's the second instance. We do have the test where the where his flesh falls off his hand. Yeah, that's true. That that probably freaked me out as a kid. I don't remember specifically but i do know that this next part freaked me out (laughs) (laughs) the baron is sitting there and he's got this doctor who has these two incredibly fucked up looking assistants well yeah they have they're like their eyes are sewn shut and their ears are sewn shut and shit it's fucking weird yeah it's it's super creepy and he's using this needle to drain boils yeah on the Baron's face and the Baron's face is all fucked up and uh, and a character played with such gusto by the way Baron Vladimir Harkonnen Kenneth McMillan what else has he been in because I know I've seen him in something else but I can't place it Amadeus Runaway Train Cat's Eye Top of the Hill Three Fugitives Favorite Son Frank's Place Magnum P.I. Murder She Wrote Jesus Christ so he's a character actor oh yeah he's been all over the oh place. he was in Moonlighting how about that <laughs> It's like moonlighting. <laughs> Ninja Turtles. Yep. That made me happy. Uh anyway, he is <laughs> just delightful. Um he's so into this character <laughs> and this character is a fucking psychopath. He's got this whole thing where he's talking with his nephews with whom he has a very disturbing relationship clearly. His nephews are played by Sting and the guy who played Bluto in the Robin Williams Popeye movie. Oh my god, really? <laughs> yes, if you remember that. <laughs> I do. I do. Of course I remember that. Yeah, so he's basically going over his plans with them of how they're going to take over Arrakis. And, uh, oh, that's right. And Brad Dorif brings him a communique from, from Duke Leto Atreides. Also telling him to fuck off, because that runs in the family. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> and so he's like, all right, well, fuck this guy. I made I made my offer of peace, you know. Now I can kill him without feeling guilty about it. I don't think he was ever going to feel guilty about it, if I'm being honest. No, did Piter, actually, did, did Piter mean for it to sound so smug when he was delivering that message to the Baron? <laughs> 
I think he did. I think he. I. I think old Piter uh, and 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 God bless Brad Dorif. I. I think he loves his job. I. I feel like. I feel like. Uh, Brad Dorif or Piter? Both of both. them. Honestly, <laughs> I think Piter was thrilled to get that message from Duke Leto because uh, he wants to watch the Baron fuck some shit up. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. So he's kind of a psycho. Yep. Anyway, so they go. They go on and on. He basically. Uh, He's given out some orders, I think. And then guards usher in this young man who is very obviously like a house slave or something like that, who has this um, this little thing in his chest. It looks like a bottle cap. It's about the size of a bottle cap. It's round. It's got like some, uh, some futuristic filigree on it. And Baron Harkonnen, after bathing in what looks like used motor oil from this weird shower, <laughs> he flies. Oh, it, it should be noted, the Baron cannot walk. He's so fat and grotesque. <laughs> that he he's he's got this suit that allows him to fly and after levitating underneath this shower and bathing in used motor oil he floats over to this young man who is placing fresh flowers in vases who is very clearly scared shitless right now <laughs> and he grabs this dude and proceeds to murder slash molest him by pulling out what we come to know is called a heart plug that is that bottle cap thing on his chest he pulls it out and out of this little hole this dude's blood just starts spraying and uh the baron like rubs it all over himself and this this young guy and yeah it looks like he's basically like dry humping the body to while it dies and then the justification for that scene is the voiceover this is what i'll do to house atreides this is not a horror movie but fuck there's some creepy shit in there i do have to note though that that his doctor is played by the guy who was the scary german guy in monster squad back in 97 i i got this brand new on vhs and i had forgotten that that scene is in it <laughs> you watched it with and your mom I'm, didn't you i watched it with my dad and my dad is uh he's easily disturbed by things like that <laughs> fair enough <laughs> that's <laughs> and we watched it and he was just silent the whole time and then when it was over i was like shitting my pants nervous with him watching this you know like i technically i'm an adult at this point i was 18 years old and it's not like he could get mad at me about it or something but you know you don't want to disappoint somebody you love and he just looks over at me and he goes do not let your little brothers watch that (laughs) (laughs) and here i am going like hey kids look it's icky (laughs) icky gross stuff and they're they're eight and i don't care they also didn't care so i whatever oh my god i have to i have to mention this one fucking detail about this movie probably my favorite detail but it confuses me why the fuck is everybody carrying around pugs i think that's a, a house atreides thing well yeah it is it is just an atreides thing the like there, there's that great scene during the invasion when the harkonnens finally come in so so a little <laughs> I, I hope I know what you're going to say here. (laughs) Yes, you know what I'm going to say. I'll bridge the gap real quick for the listeners. So at that point, the Atreides travel and... there's a lot of really interesting stuff that goes on in terms of visuals, but ultimately what they do is they travel to Arrakis and they take up residence, and then it turns out that their doctor named Gurney, who's played by, what was his name in Quantum Leap? Al. Al from Quantum Leap. Gur- no, um, he, he's he's Dr. Uh, Gurney is played by Patrick Stewart. Oh, no, that's right. Dr. Oh, shit, that- D- Dewey. No, not Dewey. 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 D
What the fuck is his name? I just Huey. had it. Huey. Did Huey. I... It's Huey. Is it? Yeah, that's right. Gurney is the Huey. head of security. Dr. Huey, he calls him. Oh, I thought it was Huey. I have always thought it was Huey. I thought last night that it was Huey. They call him Dr. Huey. Maybe maybe they do say Huey and I just so missed it. So it's Huey. I think so, Huey. yeah. Okay. All right. Anyway, they find out that Dr. Huey, well, they don't find it out until it's too late, but it turns out Dr. Huey is betraying them to the Harkonnens, all because they murdered his wife and he's going to use Duke Leto to murder Baron Harkonnen by implanting, there's so much to unpack here, <laughs> by implanting a false tooth in his mouth that when he bites down on it will emit a poison gas that he can blow in the Baron's face because the Baron will want him close so he can gloat over him. And he's not wrong. Dr. Yui is not wrong. But the problem is that Duke Leto is very confused during the death scene and so he inadvertently kills Brad Dorif instead. <laughs> My favorite part of that is when he's like, remember the tooth, and it does a close-up of his mouth. The tooth. But remember the, the tooth. The tooth. The tooth. The tooth. <laughs> like, that is so <laughs> dumb, and it made me happy. <laughs> so anyway, we've got the Harkonnen invasion, and during the Harkonnen invasion, the inimitable Patrick Stewart, who plays <laughs> Gurney, the head of security, there's a scene where he's leading all the soldiers out to fight off the invading hordes, and in one arm, he's got a machine gun, and in the other arm, he's got a pug <laughs> oh and if that is not the best image ever <laughs> so it's patrick stewart holding a pug in one arm a gun in another arm all dressed up in desert battle gear and he's like for how's it and then charges into battle with this fucking pug in his arm it's beautiful it's beautiful i love it i laughed beautiful. both times i watched that because uh, that's <laughs> the best thing ever if that's not a gif or something somebody needs to make that you know it's got to be like at some point somebody had to have put it out there into the world i hope so again lots of time jumps there are fucking time jumps all over this goddamn movie which okay now i'm i i'm kind of watching it again little clips on youtube and i'm at the scene now where he's like eating this random spice he just finds in this fucking room that he's in and then oh no that's his bedroom that's yeah like, that's his bedroom why because the because the little the little murder arrow or murder dart thing yeah. comes out of his bed it comes out of the headboard of his bed oh is that where it fucking comes from i thought it came from the wall yeah oh this all right this is we skipped over this in an attempt to get to to gurney and the pug charging into battle <laughs> yeah. um Tell when me. they first when they first arrive on arrakis paul is basically taking up his quarters and they they talk about how they keep finding spies and sabotage devices and shit like that that were left behind by the harkonnens and their uh their master of assassins what what was his name again thufer yeah that's right thufer yeah the mat like the human computer and master of assassins laments that they're finding them too easily and then we cut to paul in his room and he pulls out a little stick of spice like a candy like a like a like a fun-sized candy bar sized <laughs> stick of spice and just eats it and then he's like the spice and and you know I, I i don't remember exactly what all he says there but basically he's sort of impressed by how it's affecting him and then this little this little hole opens up in the headboard of his bed and out of it flies this little syringe and it starts flying around the room and he calls it a hunter seeker and he said and 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 through his whispered internal monologue 
we learned that it because of the low light in the room, if he doesn't move, it won't be able to see him. T-Rex logic. Yeah, exactly. T-Rex logic. Perfect. So it's kind of hunting its way around the room, getting closer and closer to him. And then it sort of decides, all right, it looks like it decides, all right, well, we haven't found anything. So let's go back to the hole. And as it's headed back, the door opens and that motherfucker just zoop and shoots straight for the source of the motion. And then Paul reaches and snatches it out of the air. And then it sort of, you know, like zips his hand around like a like an evil dead comedy act and then bam into the wall almost and killing poor linda hunt i think her name is from kindergarten cop yes uh who who dies in like two who, minutes anyway so it doesn't really matter and who introduces herself in the creepiest fucking way possible yeah what does she say she says i am and then she says her name which i can't remember and then she says the housekeeper <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, in return uh, for him saving her life, she warns him that they have a betrayer in their midst. And unfortunately, she doesn't warn him who is the betrayer. And so the betrayer gets away with it. And House Atreides falls to the Harkonnens. And Paul and his mother, this is uh, this is what Gurney told the Duke in order to get him to go along with the plan to murder Baron Harkonnen. He suggests to the Harkonnens that what they do with Paul and his mother is fly them out into the middle of the desert where the sandworms are, who we've established at this point, although we kind of skipped over that, and leave them... Leave them to be eaten by the sandworms in order to effectively destroy all evidence that they were murdered by the Harkonnens, which, I mean, they're fucking controlling the city. I don't see how that's going to be a big deal, but whatever. <laughs> so, these guards are flying them out to the desert and Paul uses the voice, the command voice, that sounds sort of like something out of a horror movie involving someone possessed by the devil, and uh, he commands one of these guys to take the gag out of his mother's mouth because his mother is a Bene Gesserit sister. She is proficient in the voice and then once he did she basically tells him to kill his friend and untie her son so that's what he does and that but the problem is is he kills the guy while they're still flying out to the desert but aren't there yet so there's this like giant barrier rock wall that they have fly through and it's very narrow and while flying through it one of the wings gets blown off the thing that they're flying and so paul has to sort of stabilize it and try and keep it keep it from crashing in the middle of the open desert because they'll just die the the, wor the worms will come and eat them. They make their way towards this rock and uh, they crash near the rock, but not at the rock. Then they make their way from the ship to the rock by trying to walk without rhythm and deploying this thing called a thumper, which creates an artificial rhythm that will attract the worms. And uh, they don't quite make it to the rock before the worm realizes that there's actual prey to be had and comes after them. And then they almost get killed by the worms, but they don't because somebody puts down a thumper elsewhere. And that's when they realize, you know, you know, that the someone else who is unbeknownst to them puts down a thumper and draws the worm off. And that's when they realize they're not alone on this rock i feel like that's a line from another movie we're not alone on this rock yeah you might be right about that uh but they find they find man-made steps in the middle of the desert also jessica's pregnant by the way which apparently with another one of the duke's children who is going to end up being the creepy daughter well they don't find that out till later do they i think they find it out like as they're running away right before right after they crash the plane and for some fucking reason i don't even remember it, it happens before the sandworm really yeah i know weird right huh. <laughs> but i also wrote down that Max von Sydow. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. They're trapped inside in, in that cave. Thing. This one tiny rock, and they have to make a run for this larger rock. Yeah. Wow. You made it sound so exciting. Yeah, but like they got to get into their stilt suits.
suits first. Uh, the stilt suits, I don't think we've described the stilt suit We have suit not. It's a, it's a desert survival suit that basically collects your sweat and piss and shit and turns it into potable water. Yay! Just like Waterworld. <laughs> That's called being green. Uh, and I wrote down that Max von Sydow was always getting sent out to the desert to die because this is the second movie that I've seen that happen to him in. What was the other one again? Judge Dredd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> it's like the same scene both times. So they find the Fremen in this fucking mountain. They don't know they're the Fremen, obviously, but they have these sexy blue on blue eyes that they're that I think they they heard about earlier. Well, they basically they establish early on that that whole blue on blue eye thing is a is a distinctively Fremen thing, and it has to do with the spice. I think doesn't it? Yeah, the spice uh, basically contaminates the blood and turns the eyes that blue. And they're like the leader. Of these people is like oh we'll take paul because he's a dude and we like dudes and fuck fuck that chick we'll kill her or something i don't know what he says he's gonna do but then she's like paul's like fuck that and then she's like i'm gonna kick your ass and he's like oh shit she knows the weirding way yeah and then uh and paul runs off like a little bitch while his mom takes on the leader of the fucking fremen like how is this guy supposed to be the hero of our story at this point (laughs) he's not yet uh but they all they all make friends and shit but oh he also sees the chick from his dream well also yeah. you know the the leader of the fremen basically says to her hey if you're this powerful we could <laughs> yeah. you know you're welcome to join us because we could we could use a warrior as powerful as you and so she's like all right cool and then paul meets chani yeah and she calls him Usul. well they all call him Usul, but you know but then she delivers the line tell me of your homeworld, Usul." and he picks a dumb name paul muadib because it's like the name of the moon or something. It's the name of, what did he call it? Um, something like the mouth-shaped shadow. <laughs> yeah, something I don't remember. On Not, the second yeah. moon. <laughs> we call that, we call that Mwadib. You will be Paul Mwadib. Also, they have water, which is which is real good. Which is unheard of on the planet yes. of Arrakis. And it never rains there. They said something creepy like, your water will mingle with our water. Okay. I'm like, what are we all peeing in the same pool or what (laughs) because you had you you didn't see the stores of water yet so i was like what the fuck is he talking about well i mean obviously on a planet like this water would be sacred you know i mean it's like mad max man yeah (laughs) i wrote my next note after all that stuff is so much weird shit raban rips the tongue out of a cow which they have on arrakis for some fucking reason no that was back on uh that was back on giddy prime oh was it okay yeah why that was back in the baron's chambers he sends raban to govern arrakis Yeah. why do they have cows i don't know it's fine they they're allowed to have cows i guess it's just kind of a random thing well was like a well, like it looked like they too. were butchering it and oh, he just man. rips out the raw tongue and starts noshing on it Ooh, and then this is where this is where sting comes out of that little thing all sexy and steamy and stuff and this is where we figure out baron harkonnen does not have a healthy relationship with his nephews because he wants to fuck fade jessica does end up becoming the reverend mother of this uh of, that of this planet of the fremen yeah the, just the fremen shy halud shy halud i forgot to tell you there's a band called shy halud and it was started, well, one of the original members was Chad, the fucking guitar player from Newfound Glory. He did vocals. You and Newfound Glory. And they're, uh, they, yeah, they're like a hardcore band. Really? Yeah, it's weird. The Okay, Chad can't be the singer for Newfound Glory. No, he's no, he's the guitar player. Um, oh, okay. You probably said that, didn't you? And yes, I, I did. didn't get it. Yeah. Yeah, he, he is really into hardcore. I don't know. Hardcore is hit and miss for me. Some of it I love, some of it I can't stand. I was going to send you some just so you, just so you could hear the Shy Halud 
thing, but I just think it's funny. <laughs> I didn't know this was where I was from. I knew he was in that band, but anyway. So yeah, in order to uh, to be considered one of the Fremen, he has to conquer the sand. He has to conquer Shai Hulud, the great desert sandworm, and uh, and so basically what that means is he has to go out there into the desert and uh, get up on top of one of these motherfuckers and ride it. Fuck yeah, that's hot. And the funny thing is, is they never explain what's going on. And I guess I had a friend explain it to me or something when I was young. But basically, he runs up and he jams this thing underneath one of the uh one of the rings of the sandworm and presses on it and it pries up the, the outer armor and exposes this pink underflesh. pretty gross and then what the sandworm does is the sandworm twists to get that as far away from the sand as possible and that's how they get up on top of it okay and so that's sure. why once he <laughs> once he does that the sandworm starts turning and pulling him up on top of itself oh fuck and, i didn't even notice that detail yeah and then he puts hooks in like these these air hole things that are on the sandworm's body or on the sandworm's head and that's how he's able to steer it by pulling on one it causes the sandworm to turn to relieve the pressure all of that was apparently explained to me by one of my nerdy friends as a kid but i thought it was actually in the movie for a long time until i was watching it and i was like oh yeah okay i guess i guess that's actually not explained in the movie i just know that now no not a lot is actually <laughs> but one thing they do explain was right before that right before the sandworm thing Jessica gives birth to this kid but because of the because of the spice the kid well, is born with all the knowledge and power of a reverend it's, mother it's not the spice it's not it's the water of life oh right the water, the water of, of life, life not the spice you're right you're right the water of life is the bile of a baby sandworm or of a newborn sandworm and in order to become a reverend mother Jessica must transmute the water of life and so she drinks it and she survives the transmutation but it causes her her prima her baby to be born premature and with the powers of a reverend mother thank you all those details fucking disappeared but the second you said them i remembered the whole thing now and basically over the course of two years the child grows into like a five-year-old a creepy creepy weird five-year-old yeah is creepy as fuck before we move on to like basically the last bit here so baron has thufer the the guy who was the weird he, he's a weird looking motherfucker what what is he like master assassin guy or whatever he's a human computer and a master assassin master of assassins okay so he's that motherfucker is like locked or you know he's being held captive by the baron and apparently he has some poison running through his body and the only way to <laughs> keep the poison from killing him is for him to milk a hairless cat every day every day but the cat's like trapped in this weird box thing and a rat is duct taped to him i think the idea is that the rat is grafted onto it for but what? you know obviously they couldn't do that to an actual cat did anybody so explain just... that to you no no <laughs> that's just what i gather from the way it looks it looks like the rat is supposed to be grafted on there or maybe i'm just carrying out my sick fetishes in in my imagination and imposing them on this film and why does he have to milk the cat oh god it's just, it's just gross <laughs> And the best thing is that never comes back around. Never once. Does he even show up in the movie again? I don't think so. <laughs> what the fuck happened to him? Oh, fuck. Oh, man. <laughs> so Paul and uh, Paul 
basically teaches these Fremen how to use the sound guns, the weirding modules. Something yes, happens because... prior to that, though, because he's he becomes their, like, cool leader person. Not leader person, but they, like, respect him for some reason. Oh, because he tamed the sandworm. <clears throat> Fucking duh. Wait. Yep. Yeah, that happened already. Yep. Yeah, he, he tamed Shai Hulud also because he proved himself to be a warrior, and he uh, he is training them with the weirding modules because Yui included in the stuff that he hid inside oh, that yeah. uh, that transport that was flying them out to the desert he included a blueprint of the weirding modules so they were able even though all the weirding modules belonging to house atreides had been destroyed they were able to build new ones and so he was able to outfit the fremen with weirding modules and train them well isn't that fucking lucky dr yui even though he was kind of a prick doing douchey things to his own means you know fucking he planned ahead for everybody so this is another big time jump so they've done all the training and essentially paul is the leader the like the warrior guy and two years go by while they, while they fight Rapaba, what the the beast raban yeah raban and and they're they're kicking his ass their thing is he wants to destroy the spice harvesting shit because that'll just eliminate the problem i guess well what it'll do is it'll once the spice production stops it will force the emperor to intervene directly oh is that what the f- see i and missed a he- lot of details you've seen this movie way more than i have and you're better at details anyways <laughs> and basically what he wants to do is he he he's felt from the beginning that the emperor was behind the betrayal of how house atreides and so he wants to take on the emperor but he has to get the emperor there in order to confront him but he also has to become the kwisatz Haderach, which two years later he finally does but not before we run into patrick stewart with a weird mullet that's right uh because because gurney's been out in the desert and you know uh you, you you don't have as much time for haircuts when you're out in the desert surviving as a rogue warrior and then they have i'm gonna call it sort of a gay moment they hug each other and patrick stewart goes my little pup or whatever <laughs> is that what he said <laughs> something something along those lines it was a little weird yeah it's pretty sweet there's definitely gay undertones to this movie just a few maybe that's why so many people don't like it homophobia maybe that's true maybe that yeah i don't know i love it gayness and all oh man we missed one bit that i kind of forgot to talk about uh during that first siege where before they actually go to get trapped in the fucking desert that character duncan that we meet twice oh we haven't even talked about duncan do we really need to bring him into it no i just i just like i just wanted to talk about how cool that effect was when he died he that's the second he that's the oh, second time yeah. the second time we see that shield thing but then well, uh, so he gets shot in the head in that <laughs> in, in cool. that case then there were three instances of the instances of the shield because yeah i'd forgotten about that oh and you're you're talking about the big shield too right uh, well no no i'm talking about the um i'm talking about the personal shields where was like the third like there's there's the first one where paul fights gurney there's the second one where duncan gets killed and then there's the fight between paul and fade oh no that's right the yeah, shields no, never come don't. up in that do they no. huh yeah i guess i forgot about that i i i I guess I'm so used to that opening fight that I my memory is imposing it on that final fight because yeah they don't use the shields in that so it is just <laughs> like, the two instances of the shields being they used. should have it would have made sense but I guess it, I guess he didn't need it at that point does he because he's like a god and stuff yeah at that point he is the Kwisatz Haderach so you know he doesn't he he does he doesn't need he doesn't even need the weirding module to kill at that point all right so we re- we've run into Gurney anyways uh Duncan that that 
that thing if he gets shot and it's just like this slow little burrowing into the thing and then his head kind of pops yeah because the idea of the shield is that nothing that's moving fast can get through it but this guy fires this this dude fires this shot at him that hits the shield and then drills through and pops duncan right in the head his name is duncan idaho by the way oh yeah that's right Duncan Idaho. I didn't want to forget to include that. So it's been two years now. Now their shit's getting real because, you know, they're 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 fucking up the Emperor's stuff. So because the creepy translator guys are back and this is where I noticed how gross looking that guy was. Well, no, the, because in the first one, I don't think he has that brain nose tube thing. Oh, does he? I not? Think, he might. I don't know. I think the idea is that over the two years, he's mutated. So the second time we see that translator guy, then he's got the brain nose tube and his brain is starting to grow out of his skull and his and his nose is constantly leaking this yellow juice. Oh, that's hot, man. <laughs> It's so nasty looking. So let's let let let's go through this pre climax. I call it the pre climax because the I guess it is the climax, but then we have like a part two of the climax. Okay, well, I mean, basically the spacing guild comes to the emperor and says, "Hey, the fuck's up, bro? Spice production's at an all time low. Uh, you better go get involved and fix this shit right now." That's the setup. Is that the emperor is coming, and so the fremen decide to start planning this major assault. They've been destroying spice harvesters left and right for two years they decide to plan this major final assault for when the emperor arrives or maybe just after he arrives but paul knows that if he's ever going to carry it off he's got to make his attempt he's got to attempt to transmute the water of life which has killed every man who's ever tried it but of course paul is convinced that he could be the one as it turns out he is and basically he uncovers the secrets of folding space and uh and becomes this you know enlightened being and then suddenly the sandworms as as he does the sandworms travel to him and and they don't attack they just are like there to bear witness to what's happening it's very epic i love it and he shouts to the void father the sleeper has awakened <laughs> well which by the way was a thing that his father said to him early in the movie we should probably have said that in the first place so alia goes to visit the emperor i don't know how she gets in there but somehow she i mean she's got the like like i said she has all the powers of and knowledge of a reverend mother so she has the voice like she can do the commands and stuff like that basically she shows up and she gets she gets brought to the emperor uh who is meeting with baron harkonnen after having killed the beast raban and set his head on a plate alia comes in and she basically confronts the emperor and tells her tells him hey my brother's coming for you and uh the reverend mother who is who is the emperor's advisor is like get this fucking demon mutant abomination out of this room and then she's like tell him who my brother is and uh and so basically at that point the emperor realizes that muadib is paul atreides because up to that point he thought paul atreides was dead yeah because the the legend of muadib is spreading you know across arrakis and all the way to the emperor's throne room oh. even the spacing guild doesn't seem to know who muadib is they just know that this muadib person is needs to be stopped and and that is the point and well at that point a huge storm is rolling in and that is the moment that Muad'Dib and the Fremen decide to attack so they summon all these sandworms and they're riding these sandworms and they blow a hole in the rock wall that separates the deep desert from the the little civilized area where the humans live and they ride the sandworms straight in and and just start raining wholesale hell down on the emperor and his troops and uh the emperor is like get this little 
creepy creature out of my sight and what is what does he say does he say to like kill her or he probably her says to kill her i don't fucking remember i don't know i don't know anyway <laughs> he basically tells baron harkonnen take care of this thing and then the emperor runs for it and he he goes to like this command center that looks like it's like a it's like a circular periscope station but with periscopes set up all around on these like uh almost like zaxon or not zaxon but uh is it zaxon that old arcade machine where you ride the uh where you ride the machine through these like tunnels you can like steer it up onto the walls and shit oh fuck i don't know that that sounds that's awesome, not zaxon that's like it's something else anyway it's it's sort of like a motorcycle you know you like straddle it and sit there but then it's got these handles in and this little thing you look into to see what's going on on the battlefield so the emperor and apparently all the generals or something i don't know they don't really specify who they are they all get around this thing and they're commanding the battle from above if you will and then alia basically has the baron in sort of a mind trap where she's like telling him wait for my brother baron and he wants to grab her and do horrible things to her but he can't He's like restrained by her mental commands. And Paul and the Fremen are outside, like I said, just raining fire from atop sandworms onto all of these troops and just ruling ass. And then uh, how does the battle end up going? I, I kind of get lost. I'm, my memory is getting a little lost at that point. Well, yeah, there's I don't want to miss something. There's a lot going on. That's that's kind of the thing. You know, they're riding these sandworms and they're basically just destroying the opposition. All of the Emperor's terror troops and uh, the Harkonnen soldiers, all of whom have been portrayed as really fucking hardcore up to this point, they're just getting their asses handed to them. And uh, and then a hole gets blown in the wall of the throne room or whatever it is. And at that point, Alia lures the Baron closer, and she rips like she rips a bunch of tubes out of his uh, flight control thing that he has, and then pushes him out the hole. And he just goes flying out the hole and straight into the mouth of a sandworm who just chomps him chomps down on him oh man. pretty fucking sweet yeah Just that, fuck that guy it's a good scene he's creepy wow. and needed to go um thufer by the way does come back but he commits suicide in that hall towards the end before paul and fade fight each other because he oh man i don't remember that at all me neither i'm like is that like a... is that from the extended edition because there is oh, an extended edition. it must be because that's what i'm it doesn't say it's extended but that must be it yeah there's an extended edition that's like something like 25 minutes longer or good something like that lord okay it's like it's over three hours anyway so final confrontation paul and his crew standing face to face with the emperor and his crew amongst whom stands uh fade harkonnen <laughs> played by the inimitable sting and he's just like there's a harkonnen here just one i guess and paul's like i'm gonna fuck up your shit and the emperor gets all cocky and is like if he wishes to face you he may wield my blade and, he's like, and yeah, paul's like I do. bring it on motherfucker <laughs> and then okay so i i had to draw some parallels here clearly Zack snyder is a fan of this movie how, how so um because the whole time paul and fade are fighting he's like i will kill him i will kill him and then zod goes i will find him and they they kind of dress the same too a little bit oh yeah they do kind of dress the same <laughs> i guess zod from uh man of steel maybe yeah. he's a harkonnen yeah yeah i can see what you mean i had never connected those two dots before but i will say uh michael shannon is a far better actor but sting wears that suit better well yeah yeah sting's pretty sexy though he is very sexy in this movie i'm not gonna deny it it's not my 
cup of tea, but I get why the uh, why the Baron wanted to fuck his nephew. God, who does he look like? I, I can't even like Peter Pan kind of. It's a little weird. He looks like young Sting. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. It's remarkable the similarity. Wait, that's Sting. Oh yeah, this is definitely the extended cut. This fight's going on way fucking longer than in the. <laughs> Anyway, uh, the fight's pretty good. You know, there's a lot of back and forth, and Sting keeps chanting, I will kill him! Uh, Sting is just, like, hamming it up to the ceiling in this, but uh, I love it. I love it. And then, uh, turns out he has a cheat blade in, like, his hip or something like that. Yeah, and it's supposed to be, like, a poison blade or something. Paul pulls, like, a Kung Fu Miyagi dive and, and takes him down to the ground, and then we get a fantastic death shot where they pull back, and Paul has jammed his blade up through sting's chin through his mouth and into his brain and sting's <laughs> mouth is like kind of hanging open a little bit so you can see the blade going through into the roof of his mouth it's it's a really good shot yeah it, it's pretty cool this is not a horror movie again everybody no it's not but it no, it's should not. Be. this is a pg-13 movie that i was taken to at five <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then right when the battle's over, Paul goes, ah, or something. And then he breaks the floor because yeah, he, he, can, he can now use the weirding powers without the gun. He shouts at Sting so hard, he not only shatters his chest open, but shatters the floor underneath him just with the power of his yell. Because he's the, the queasy Heimlich. And then at that point, uh, is that when it starts raining? It's going to rain in like two minutes, yes. It well, starts raining. What gets said between now and then? Because I'm at a loss. Um, nothing important. I imagine they're just like, "I love you. I love you too. We saved the day. It's amazing. We're not British, <laughs> but that's how we're talking." And then it starts raining, which it has never <laughs> done before on Arrakis. And then Alia has the final line of the movie. It's because he and is. How can yeah. this be? For he is the queen at Hadarak. And apparently, that did not happen in the book either, because he's not. He, he's not like a fucking. Wizard. I think it might something like it might have happened in later books because what what I was told uh, by a friend of mine who was a big fan of the books is that Paul effectively does become a god later uh, and he actually becomes the bad guy. Oh, that's awesome! I I like that idea. Yeah. So if you want to go read the books, that might be what's in store for you, or I might be misremembering, or my friend might have just been lying. I don't know because I haven't read it. You know, it's probably going to happen. I'm going to go to the Wikipedia page just to check it out and figure it out. Of course. Because I don't want to read that goddamn many books. <laughs> so as fast as all that, I can't believe it. Like, how long How long have we been recording for? Not even two hours yet. We blew through this one, and I'm kind of impressed by us here. It feels like we've been recording for much less. I actually thought we were under an hour at this point. Seriously, it, it has been going by kind of quick. But that's actually really appropriate, because much like Dune, which because there's so much going on feels like a much shorter movie than it is this has been a, a very intensive podcast <laughs> and it, it's felt shorter to record though it may feel like longer to listen i don't know yeah who you're knows? gonna have to tell me listener for myself liking this movie i turned to rachel and i'm like so she's like i hated it <laughs> <laughs> Like I felt that I felt that coming. Um, not gonna pretend like that surprises me at all. No, <laughs> no, no, not even not even a little bit. Yeah, like yeah, I I, pr- I appreciate her watching all these dumb movies with me and never liking them, but still ending up still watching them with me. <laughs> she is a sweetie just to sit down and endure them with you. <laughs> I mean, I made her watch Double Dragon. I'm gonna make her watch Surf Ninjas and all that shit. It's gonna be great. You are lucky to have a woman like her, dude. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
So that's Dune, I think, which is kind of crazy because I thought this was going to take like three fucking hours. Like I said, I I would have sworn we were under an hour at this point. It felt like it went by so fast. <laughs> well, it's a good thing though. It's a good thing. Oh, it's a good definitely. Thing. If it were if if I felt like it were dragon, I'd probably be like, oh fuck, this is going to be a shit episode. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give my final thoughts first, so that yes, way you can do. you can be you can be the fucking magic bullshit, whatever. Anyways, um. <laughs> So, again, I liked this movie. I don't fucking know why. I was as surprised as you, honestly. Now, if you're if you're looking for a movie that's like Star Wars, don't watch this movie. <laughs> because I've heard many times that this movie is the quote-unquote anti-Star Wars. Yes. Yes, it is. But it's more interesting to me because there's not ten fucking Star- ten Dune movies to bother me. Or, no. Eleven? <laughs> There's 11 fucking Star Wars movies, not counting all, like, the, the TV movies. Oh, Jesus. Good God. And, like, three of them are good. No, there there's more than 11. Because there's nine core trilogy movies, or there's nine of the three different trilogy movies, and then you've got Solo, and then you've got Rogue One, and... That's it so far. They did another one, didn't they? No, not yet. Oh. Well, well, they have The Mandalorian. Oh, maybe that's it. I'm thinking of that like it's a movie, but, yeah, I guess it's just TV show. And then, of course, you know, you got the Ewoks movies. <laughs> in the christmas special dude those count though are those canon at this point who knows i'm counting the ewok movies as canon i don't know about the christmas special now the ewok movies could be because they don't take place you know none of our characters are there except for wicket but fuck it at least wicket's there who cares yeah and um the christmas special was the first appearance of boba fett that is true i recommend it actually weirdly enough i i i'm gonna watch it again at some point oh my god the fuck's wrong with me i guess you're lucky you bought it yeah i know now i kind of want to watch the extended cut god i'm fucking asshole Anyways. oh when i can get a hold of that i am definitely getting a hold of that but i i don't i don't want to get the dvd yeah right because you yeah. know like it's such a beautiful movie i don't want to take that step backward in resolution god the production design and shit was definitely the star of the show yeah big time oh it's it's just gorgeous i could watch it just for that oh well, yeah i was it's one of those things i'm like i I was fucking shocked at how great the movie looked too I'm just like, <laughs> oh my god i just kind of want to sing its praises i understand why this movie didn't do well because movies like this never do fucking well sci-fi movies don't hit at the box office ever almost well especially ones like this that are so they're so cerebral and there's so much going on and you really have to pay attention if you're going to follow the story at all yeah almost like like half the movies we've done on this podcast didn't do well in the theater (laughs) are you saying (laughs) we don't have mainstream taste that's weird right like rocky did well and iron man did well casablanca probably but everything else was completely fucking ignored pretty much in the theaters die hard did well oh die hard we can't forget die hard we did we've done a lot of movies at this point fuck i know we're in the 70s now aren't we or or are we past the 70s no we're in the 70s yeah we're in the 70s holy shit we're old (laughs) all right man get so that's my final thoughts watch watch this movie and you know surprise yourself my final thought if you haven't seen this movie you definitely owe it to yourself if only so that you can know you know so that you can say definitively yes i've been there and either i liked it or it wasn't for me either way it's an experience that i think everybody owes themselves because it really is such an experience you know even if you don't like it this movie is an experience this movie will give you 
something you haven't seen a hundred times before. This movie will take you places. This movie is a ride, and you owe it to yourself to get on it at least once. If you don't want to get back on it, I understand. Not every movie is for everybody, and this movie especially isn't for everybody. But this movie is such a distinctive moment and such a thing unto itself. You know, this isn't disposable cinema. This isn't just like anything that you can think of. There's nothing out there that you can say, oh yeah, I mean, I basically saw Dune. I mean, I saw this thing, so I basically (laughs) saw Dune. It's basically the same thing. Like, if you want to, if you saw Iron Man, you basically saw the other Iron Man movies. If, you know, you know, if you saw Infinity War, you don't necessarily need to go back and watch everything that was leading up to it. I mean, it'll help it make more sense, but the the point is, is, is you're having an analogous experience going through those things, which isn't to denigrate them in any way. I think they're very fun, but this is a singular experience. It's not something that you can easily compare to anything else. And if only for that reason, everybody should at least give it a chance. Myself, I adore this movie. I always have. It is my first truly powerful cinematic memory. It's for a long time, it was my only cinematic memory from that age. Although, you know, the more I've thought about it, the more I've been able to remember a couple of other things. And I've had family members remind me of some stories from back then that kind of knocked a few things loose in my head. But it's most definitely my first really, really strong cinematic memory. It's the first time cinema moved me on a deep level. So I love it and I always will. I'm getting all misty eyed over here. <laughs> bringing a dick joke to liven things up. Uh, the sandworms look like enormous dicks. Yeah, there's there's definitely some phallic imagery going on there. You know, the, now that you've said it, I feel like there's a there is a real a real gay spirit to this movie. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to get get around to doing some research on that because Rachel was watching a TikTok by this uh, trans lady. I don't know what her name was. Fuck. Uh, but she she was the one who said, "Fuck Harry Potter. Go watch. Go read Dune." instead it's not contrapoints is it it is oh yeah wait i like her she's cool is it contrapoints maybe i don't fucking remember i don't know but either way it's a good idea fuck harry potter go read dune you know what go you could also read the golden compass there there's a ton of stuff you could read you know you can follow us on everything at the shark pod and there's always well hey we did dune so audibletrial.com slash sharks across hollywood you can get the audiobook by frank herbert i don't know who narrates it but it's there yes it is they probably got a flashy new cover and everything to tie in with the movie i fucking hate those things me too me too i always try to not get those if i can help it <laughs> still a good book like i said uh it wasn't as magical for me as it was for a lot of people but it was for a lot of people so if you want to know give it a go audibletrial.com forward slash sharks across hollywood and then there's this whole thing with patreon we're gonna start well by the time this is out who knows uh we will have uh some friday the 13th retrospective reviews on there where we're kind of deep dive into that stuff we're working our way through all 12 friday the 13th movies if you want to hear the first one it's already up uh on the regular page and uh if you want to hear the rest head on over to patreon and uh you know support us at uh what what's the minimum amount two dollars yeah see as little as two dollars you can you can get access to the other ones uh, and we're going to be uploading a new one every month and hopefully there's more to come along with that stuff but you will be able to find it at patreon dot com slash sharks across hollywood and that about covers it i think what do you think i think in a couple weeks we'll be back with 
I think we decided after this we're going to do rad to oh, celebrate yeah. celebrate the release of the Mill Creek Blu-ray, which we already have the fucking Vinegar Syndrome one, but I can't see myself not jumping on this waiting fucking my whole life for <laughs> a good physical release of this damn movie. Is it Mill Creek? I thought it was Mondo. It is. It is Mill Creek. Is that weird? Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah, we're going to we're going to be doing rad and then if you like the episode since most people don't even fucking know what the movie is if you like the episode and it sounds good you'll be able to actually get yourself a copy for cheap too actually yeah it's, it's pretty reasonably priced uh, it's it's a really nice edition and uh, you know not quite as nice as the vinegar syndrome edition but it does have some very cool box art and it's just a cool movie some good old fun for the whole family and one of the best opening credit sequences ever my kids loved it and my kids are cynical little shits so <laughs> so that's that's gonna be fun to talk about that could be a long one just <laughs> so you know everybody what i wouldn't give to go ass sliding with you right now let's do it ass sliding. Good <laughs> Lord. anyways hey we'll be back in a couple weeks with with rad but until then stay jawsome